0: As always, uh, I'd like to ask you to join me in saying this prayer. Really, this prayer is for us. This prayer is for, for you. It's for us. So let's, uh, let's pray this for ourselves today, church. Let's begin. O oh Lord, our God, we have gathered in your most holy name that we might drink together from the water of life. We come to praise you, for you are Lord of all creation, to enjoy you, for you are our heavenly Father. To learn from you, for you are our wonderful counselor, and to serve you, for you are our almighty king. Open up the floodgates of heaven, Lord. Let the river of life flow through this great city as we seek to love our neighbors as you have loved us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So today, uh, we get to begin a new series. You know, I'm going to do something really quickly. I don't know why, I just have to do this. But I took my ring off because I was playing the the drum box. I'm going to put it back on. Because then I have this weird little ring tan around my finger. And it bothers me even if nobody else notices it. So today we're going to begin a new series. um, And I want to start by asking you a very uh, difficult question if you really think about the implications. The question is, why should we have hope? Why should we have hope? And I want to know. I want to know, why should we have hope? But I want to know not just for myself, I want to know why we should have hope for those who are coming behind us. Those who will likely be alive long after our lives here have expired. Those who will really have to live with the consequences, the long-term, far-reaching consequences of whatever choices we make today as individuals, as couples, as families, as citizens, As a country, why should we have hope? Why should I have hope in this world for my three-month-old son? It's a little bit of a snapshot of the world that we live in right now, not that you are not aware. Wars and massacres continuing, terrorism still going strong. Even with one dictator dead in Cuba, there are still other unpredictable and dangerous tyrannical leaders who are daily threats to many innocent lives. There are still people in this world who live in conditions that no human should ever have to live, living as refugees, fleeing from awful persecution, starvation and drought, unthinkable poverty, poverty like we do not know in this country. Slavery, oppression, America itself itself stands right now more divided than ever. Not only is there a difference of more than two million votes for the candidate that did not get elected president, but that divide continues to grow bigger and bigger and bigger every single day. Protests, violence, hostility, blatant racism rearing its ugly head. This is not going away anytime soon, the way this world is. Everything in history tells us that there is no reason why America itself should last forever. And it's becoming very clear how it's possible for a mighty nation to fall apart from the inside, not necessarily from the outside. Even the church itself, made of people who all claim to stand for Jesus Christ, stands more divided today than perhaps Ever. At least in America, that's the way it looks. So I ask you again, with the face of innocence in the center of the screen, but the reality of the world that we live in all around, I ask you again, why should we have hope? Why should we have hope for those coming behind us? What hope can we give to someone looks at this world and sees what it's like, maybe even somebody who has experienced the worst of what this world has, why should we have hope and why should we offer hope? Today we're beginning a series of sermons leading up to Christmas and for the next few weeks we're going to be examining that question, why should we have hope? And if we should, then then what is that hope? What is our hope? What does it look like? You know, to hope, that word hope, what does it mean? straight definition of the word hope tells us that hope means a longing, an expectation that things will be all right or will be better. Have you ever had hope in the midst of a hopeless situation? Have you ever told yourself, this is going to be okay, even though you were not sure that it was going to be okay? Hope also speaks of desire, longing, yearning. Well, we all have hopes in life that are not met, right? Some of them are quite insignificant, and some of them are quite big. Insignificant hopes are like this. Oh, man, I hope that movie is amazing. I've been waiting for years for this movie to come out, and then it comes out, and it stinks, and you want your money back. That's an insignificant hope not being met. Ah, I hope this meal is delicious. I am so hungry, I can't wait. Thanksgiving, yes, we're going to sit at the table. And then somebody added too much salt to the stuffing, or you get into an argument at the dinner table over politics, and the meal is not what you were hoping that it would be. Rather small hope that is not met. Oh, I hope my team can win the championship this year. And then what happens, Fred, every year? Since 1988, they don't do it, right? They don't do it. I remember my dad telling me a story, uh, his childhood story of growing up. He grew up watching Charlie Brown Christmas right, with the, Christmas time is here, the kids, right, skating around, and the snowflakes are falling, and there's mountains of snow everywhere, and ice, right, and he grew up watching this in the cool jazz soundtrack, right, and as, as, as a young boy, my dad expected to wake up on Christmas morning and look out the window and see this winter wonderland, but see, the thing is, my dad grew up in East LA, <laughs> he didn't get a white Christmas, he got a brown Christmas, <laughs> Right? He looked out the window and he saw everything just like it was the day before. Right? Wah, wah. Disappointing, right? But, but see, we all have these insignificant hopes. They're, they're rather small. With insignificant hopes, you can live with it, right? Ultimately, it, it might be frustrating, it might be annoying, but ultimately these are things where you can say, oh well, next time I guess. Right? But then there are those significant hopes. These are the big ones. These are the things that you're not sure you can live with. These are the things that it's not okay for someone to say, oh, well, next time. When you hope for a loved one to recover from an illness and they never do. When you hope for your marriage to revive and it never does. When you hope to find a career that you love that you can feel fulfilled in and you wind up giving your best years to a job that you hate when you hope for your child to reach a certain level of maturity and they never seem to. These are some big examples. When our hopes are not met, when we are disappointed, it is easy to essentially just give up on hope, isn't it? We even have a phrase that we say when we want to have hope but we don't want to be disappointed. What do we say? We say, I don't want to get My hopes up. I don't want to get my hopes up only to have them dashed on the ground. But I want to tell you today, we we cannot give up hope. And I don't just mean that as an encouragement, like you can't give up. But I mean it also as a fact. We as people, as human beings, we cannot give up hope. We cannot afford to give up hope. We as humans cannot give up hope because hope is a vital and integral part of who we are. In other words, when we give up hope... As people, as human beings, when we give up hope, we become less who we are. We look less like those who are made in God's likeness and image. We are, in a sense, less human when we give up hope. Because hope is an integral part of who we are as people. Hope is a crucial part of who we are. How do I know this? If you are still here today, and some of you, I know, you've been through it. Some of you have been through some, you have some stories to tell. Some of you have come face-to-face with death. Some of you have come face-to-face with losing everything that you love. I mean, some of you have been through it. But how do I know that hope is so integral to who we are? If you're still here, even if you're just hanging on by a thread, that means that you haven't given up hope or that someone hasn't given up hope on you. (laughs) Either way, hope is what is keeping you alive today. Hope is the reason that you continue to exist. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? How hope is like, this is what makes us who we are, and we don't exist without it? I mean, some of us might have been torn apart by shattered hopes. Some of us are never quite the same after we go through things. Some of you have had tremendous loss and pain in your life, but somehow we keep going. How? How? How do we keep going through everything? And you, some of you know. You know what you've been through. Some of you have been through times in your life where you think, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. And here you sit in 2016, and you're thinking, I don't know how I made it through that. And in that moment, I didn't know how I was going to make it through that. But here I am. What was it that kept you going? What, what was it that kept you pressing on, even when it seemed everything was lost, To me, that sounds a lot like hope. I'm fairly confident in saying that it's hope that keeps us alive. And it's hope that keeps us looking for something better. And I'm also confident in saying that hope is one of the most naturally human things that we can do. And yet, we still find that throughout our lives, our hopes, so many of our hopes, are disappointed. They will be disappointed. We will have disappointed hopes, big and small. So I wonder, why would God do this? Why would God put this innate ability in us to have hope and then not make sure that every single one of our hopes is met exactly the way that we want it at the time that we want it? Why would God do that? Is God messing with us? Why would he put this ability to hope, this, this thing that just won't die, put it in us and then not meet every single one of those hopes? Now, if we go back to our original question, why should we hope? How can we be expected to hope in a world that often leaves us, quite honestly, so hopeless? How can we be expected to hope? You know, in Scripture, the Bible, there was a time when people were still waiting for their hope to arrive, their promised hope. They called that hope the Messiah, the Holy and Anointed One. Now, they didn't know exactly what it was going to look like. They didn't know exactly when the hope would be fulfilled. They just believed that there would come a time. And in fact, there are entire passages of the Old Testament which talk about the coming of someone who would change everything. But as it usually goes, things got worse before they got better. Things got worse before they actually saw that hope coming through. In the book of Isaiah, we see that the people of Israel... God's chosen people are not doing too well. Israel has turned its back on God, and as a result, they come on hard times. They have come under threat from the enemy, invaders, and they don't see much hope for the future. And then God, through the prophet Isaiah, says this. And we're looking at Isaiah chapter 9, if you would like to look in your uh, Bibles. You know what? I just realized right now, I had a handout already, and I didn't print it out. (laughs) I see. I hoped... ...to hand hand out to you, and I didn't print it, so I disappointed myself. I disappointed my own hope. So, Bibles. Um, you have Bibles that are in the backs of uh, the seats in front of you, hopefully. Um, there are also Bible apps available on your smartphones. So, please, let's uh, let's read along together. Isaiah chapter 9. <clears throat> and if you're looking through a hard copy Bible, Isaiah is kind of middle-ish, still in the Old Testament... In fact, if you have one of those brown church Bibles, can you tell me what page Isaiah chapter 9 on? 6.83, okay? Isaiah chapter 9, starting with verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. I don't know if there's any clearer picture than this, of what it looks like to move from hopelessness to hopefulness. People who have been walking in darkness have seen a great light. If you're walking in darkness, right, walking maybe, have you ever done that in your home, like when you're on the one side of the house or your apartment or whatever, and you have all the lights are off, and you're like, okay, i got to make it from here to my room, all the lights are off. And hope the kids didn't leave any Legos on the floor or whatever, because then I'm dead, Right? <laughs> I'm gonna wake it from. So you try to like feel your way. Okay, I know this house. I know it well enough. Here's the table. Here's the thing. Okay, and then oh, somebody left the thing right there, right? People walking in darkness. You don't suddenly expect. Ah, light to come on. But when it says the people who are walking in darkness, that word "walking" is more like living. Like you've been in this darkness for so long that you just got used to walking around in it, wandering around in darkness. I don't know where we're going. I don't, know where, I don't know what the end of this is. I don't know what the other side of this is. We're just walking around in darkness. Maybe you desperately want to see light, but if you're walking in darkness, that means you've been in it a long time. You've been in it so long that you just got used to it and you've learned how to exist and walk in it. Then suddenly, light. Have you ever felt like someone living in the land of deep darkness? Like you don't even hope for light anymore. I you know many people who experience depression, anxiety, and suicidal thoughts. People experience things like this, right? When you go through times of deep despair, when you don't even want to get out of bed, you don't want to see anybody. You don't want to do anything. And at the time, holidays, right, when everybody's supposed to be cheery, yeah, jingle bells, all, and that's probably sometimes the hardest time, isn't it? Sometimes that's the hardest time, isn't it? When you're, I don't, everybody else around me is doing and I, I'm not feeling it. Or some of you have felt loneliness, just just stark, sheer loneliness, when you just feel so alone in this world. There's nobody who you feel like, I could, I could drop dead, and nobody would even care. And sometimes maybe that's real. Maybe there really isn't anybody around you. Maybe sometimes it's just perceived, because you don't see the people around you, right? This darkness looks a lot of different ways for us people, doesn't it? Or how about this picture that Isaiah gives of enlarging the nation and increasing the joy? This speaks of restoration or recovery of what once was. The people of Israel had were, were having pieces of their land taken away from them by the enemy intruders, chipping away here, taking away. This is the land that God promised them, and suddenly the enemy's kind of taking this away, taking that away, right? They, they, mentioned, uh, they mentioned Midian, right? Midian, the Midianites, right, were one of those enemies that were chipping away at their land. How about you today? Do you ever feel like that? Like some enemy force has barged into your life? Unexpected? Unannounced? Now threatens you and those that you love? Like you're being forced to settle for a life so far from what your heart desires? Have you ever felt like that? And then suddenly God says, no, 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 no. Don't settle. I'm not done with you. This, this what you're going through right now, this is not your life. This will not be your life. And he restores what has been taken away. And, and this is the part that really excites me. He restores your joy. In this world, and even in the church many times, we're so lacking joy. Like, like a joy that's overflowing. And joy doesn't look like <laughs> happy everything. It's a, it's a deep, unshakable knowledge that God is on the throne. And I can rejoice in this life even when things are happening around me. The promise is there. You will rejoice. And why do we come out of the darkness and into the light? Why do we rejoice at what God has restored? Isaiah says, because just as in the days when, when you defeated the enemy Midian, so God has defeated our enemies, it says he will shatter the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor. You ever seen people like when they're, when they're in chains or they're, They're in prison or whatever, and they're walking, right? And they're being made to drag things or carry things, and they're enslaved. And it says God's going to break that bar that's across your shoulders. God's going to break the chains off your hands and your feet. And he's going to burn every boot that's used in battle and every garment that's rolled in blood. You know what that means? All these things that we use to fight and all these things, that represent death and loss and mourning in tragedy, God's going to burn those things. It's like God takes those things. This represents everything that hurt you, and I'm going to burn it. It's kind of like my friend Eileen over here who had surgery on her arm, right? And you took those metal, those pins out of your arm, and Eileen's like, that's not going to stand for my defeat because Eileen almost died, if you don't know it. It's an amazing story, right? But Eileen took those pins, those things that were in her arm, and she put them in a frame on her wall so she could look at them and be like, yeah, I'm still alive. What now? Right, I love it. It's like God takes those things and says, these are not going to define you anymore. Throw them in the fire. These cannot define you anymore. You will live. You will live. Can you see how this is exactly what God wants to do for you, for us? We may not be in exactly the same situation as Israel, but we can relate. Walking in darkness, losing what's valuable, feeling hopeless. Every one of us has felt hopeless at one time or another. And then... The light comes. Then the joy comes. Then we're set free from the things that have kept us in captivity for so long. Depression, addiction, vicious cycles. Then all the things that represent our oppression and hopelessness will be burned in the fire. Hope is here and nothing, nothing can stand in its way. Darkness, oppression, defeat. They better step out of the way because there is a hope that is coming and that hope is not messing around. It's like Arnold Schwarzenegger at the beginning of Predator. He kicks down the door and he like throws a giant knife and the guy's like, oh, against the wall and he's like, stick around, right? I mean, it's like God is coming in and he's going to, the enemies, they don't stand a chance. All the things that have tormented you, they don't stand a chance. Now this sounds nice, right? Hope coming in and chasing the enemy away. But unless you actually put a name on it, unless you actually put a face on this hope, Unless you actually say, here it is, hope has come, then it's just wishful thinking. It's just wishful thinking. And what does wishful thinking do for anybody? Anything? Maybe, maybe it like makes you feel good for a moment. It's kind of like a president saying he or she is going to do all these crazy things, but not really having a plan for how they're going to do it. Which, if we're being quite honest, is like every president. Right? <laughs> Everyone does that. I'm going to do all this, and then it doesn't really happen. Right? But... Making all these promises. But what does that really mean? What does that really look like? See, hope is not just wishful thinking, just speaking ideas out loud. Oh, unicorns, oh yeah, leprechauns, right? Hope is a real life giving declaration that something better is in store. Let me say that again. Hope is a real Life giving declaration that something better is in store. This is the hope that we're talking about. And that's why Isaiah continues in verse 6 to say, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government, the government, Governments of the world, government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. (coughs) The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. My friends, church, today I am here to declare to you that yes, We can have hope, yes we should hope, and that that hope has a name. That hope is not Barack Obama or Donald Trump. It is not Captain America or Superman. Hope has a name. I ask you today, do you know that name? This child who was to be born, this wonderful counselor, This mighty God, this everlasting father, this prince of peace. Oh, how we need peace. His name is Jesus Christ. He is our hope. Amen? Now, let's make it personal for a moment. Let's make it personal. I want to look at a very simple story with you, because now we're going from before hope had come, before Jesus had come. This is the prophecy of Jesus, right? Everything You look at this and you think, oh, yeah, that's Jesus, right? So that's what's called a prophecy, right? But now we're going to skip ahead to a story of what this hope actually looks like in Jesus Christ. So now we're going to be looking at John, the book of John. We're looking at John chapter 1. And we're starting with verse 35. <clears throat> so just to clarify some things, the book of John is named after one of the disciples whose name was John, okay? But just like in real life, there was a lot of Johns, okay? I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of Johns in my life. My dad's John. I'm John. My sister married a guy named John. It's like too much. <laughs> John. I see John sitting right there next to Ivy, All right? Anybody, any other Johns in here? No? Or Jonathans, Okay. Is that right? Oh, Jonathan was there. Right? There he is. <laughs> right? Okay, so, so there's a John who, who like, is responsible for this account of Jesus' life. But then there's John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, in case you didn't know, was Jesus' cousin. Right? Okay? So just to, just to clarify, you're like, John. And then John said, and then John. Just so we know who to get our John straight, okay? <clears throat> so verse 35 says, The next day John, this is John the Baptist, was there again with two of his disciples. So John the Baptist kind of came before Jesus came onto the scene to prepare the way for Jesus. And so John the Baptist had his own disciples that were following him. But when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. That was John's entire job, was to prepare the way for Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, and to say, Look, there he is. So when the two disciples heard him say this... Then they follow Jesus, right? It's like, hey, John, it's been great, but he's really the one we've been waiting for. So they, started, they went after Jesus, right? They started following Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. And it was about four in the afternoon. You know, that question that Jesus asks them is so important. What do you want? It means so much that Jesus would even ask that question. That he even gives a rip about what they want. This is Jesus, the son of God. Why should he care what they want? But he's asking them, what do you want? Now, when you read this passage, and when you read Jesus asking this question, I invite you to put yourself in the story. And imagine that Jesus is looking at you and asking you, and you can interpret this in different ways, right? It's like this little exercise I used to do when I was in college in theater. And our theater director would give us one phrase, and then she would tell us different emotions. And we had to say the same phrase, but with the different emotions, right? So if you were to take this phrase, what do you want? Somebody give me an emotion. Anything. Angry. What do you want? Or give me another emotion. What do you want? A couple more. Come on. Another emotion. A lot of love. What do you want <laughs> one more, another emotion? Happy. Happy, what do you want? Okay, you could do you could say these different things. So, how do you imagine Jesus saying this? Right? How do you imagine Jesus saying, What do you want? He's angry, he's scared. What do you want? Right, desperate. What do you want? Okay. I don't think any of these were the emotion of Jesus when he asked the question. I imagine instead that this is a very genuine and meaningful question from Jesus. Now, I like in the the message version of this story, the message is another version or translation of the Bible. The question that it says Jesus asks is, what are you after? What are you after? Can you imagine Jesus looking in your eyes and telling you, what are you after? Do you think he would be annoyed with you? Do you think he would be nonchalant? What do you want? Let's get this over with. All right? Do you think Jesus would ask you that question? What are you after? What do you want? Imagine Jesus looking into your face. Looking into your face, into your eyes and asking you. What are you after? He's not angry. He's not annoyed. He really wants to know what are you after. And if you imagine yourself in that place, imagine, too, what would be your answer? If Jesus was actually looking in your face and asking you. What are you after? Oh, Jesus! I mean, there's a lot of different ways I can answer that question. Right? What do you want? When we were on our men's retreat a couple of weekends ago, um, for those of you who don't know or you didn't hear Sergio's story last week, we had a, a, a two different men's discipleship groups that were meeting for the past year. Um, about seven in one group, about six in another. And so, as kind of a culmination of that whole year of meeting together, we went up to Running Springs. We, uh, we, we got a place up at this really nice retreat center, and we had our own little private room where we could worship and pray together and just kind of talk, just kind of, hey, what's the last year been like for you? So we were on this retreat, and Albert reads this passage to us, right, this passage of Jesus turning to them and saying, what do you want? And then he asked us, how would you answer that question, right? So we had to answer this question honestly for ourselves, what do you want? What are you after? Now, this is a very vulnerable and liberating place to be, to openly share the deep, genuine desires of your heart. When we lay down our masks, we put all jokes aside, and we just be real. It's so life-changing to think that Jesus is actually asking us, what are you after? What do you want? And so these men, you know men, supposedly out-of-touch creatures who don't know how to express their feelings and can't let their guard down, right? We had some men there who were... Who were sharing some of the deep desires of their heart. You know what some of the things that came out? Joy. Healing. Freedom. Passion for God. Genuine connection. A mentor. For my kids to know Christ. These were some of the things that the men said. What am I really after? What do you really want? And one of the most beautiful moments, a moment which was like sweet music to the ears, was when Albert said this to the group, do you know that Jesus Christ wants to give you what you have asked for? If that desire, if that hope was coming out of your heart, the depths of your heart, it's not just like, what do you want? Oh, a pizza. What do you want? I want to go see a movie. Okay, those are like surface things, but the deep, genuine desires of the heart, do you know that Jesus Christ wants to fulfill those desires? desires. See, what was coming out of our hearts was not just wishful thinking. We were sharing our hopes. And even though many of us may have stopped expecting for that hope to come true, it was still right there, right on the tip of our tongue, ready to be brought out again. We really think about it? Yeah, this is is really what I'm hoping for. Now, we need to be clear that God, revealed in Jesus Christ, is not a wish-granter. He is not Santa Claus granting requests for the good little boys and girls and putting lumps of coal in the stockings of the bad little boys and girls. There are things that God promises us, and then there are things that really are not promised us. So what are we not promised? What does God and Jesus not promise us? Well, we are not promised a smooth and easy life. In fact, Jesus tells us straight up, in this world you will have trouble. In this world, he doesn't, there's no sugar coating that, right? In this world, you will have trouble. But there's a promise to that, which we're going to tell you, I'm going to tell you later. But he does promise us, in this world, you will have trouble. He promises that not everyone will like us and treat us well, especially if you're a Christian. I mean, even if you're not a Christian, I mean, who, even if you're, you're sitting here and you're not a Christian today, does everybody like you? Does everybody get along with you? Does everybody think you're the greatest person in the world? No. So we're not promised that everybody's going to like us. We're not promised that everybody's going to treat us well. I mean, just by what you know of human nature, you can pretty much guarantee that you're not going to be treated well. Right? I mean, don't, when you're driving, right, don't swerve into the lane where a motorcycle's coming by. That guy's going to, like, you know, shake his fist at you or whatever. I mean, right? I mean, we, we get mad at each other. People don't treat each other well, right? We are not promised earthly riches and physical wealth. We're not promised that. There are some scriptures that people take and misinterpret in the Bible and say, oh, see, God's promising that you're going to have gold and a mansion and a, and a private jet. No, no, no actually not. <laughs> okay? It doesn't work that way. Because then if you, if you look at people in other parts of the world, like where, there, where there's real poverty, like North Korea or, or, or India or, or South American countries, and you, well, what happened to them? There's some people there who trust God. What happened? Why, why, why doesn't God fulfill that promise? We're not promised that. We are not promised that. So what are we promised? What are the promises that God has given to us? Well, if you take a closer look at Jesus' encounter with the two disciples, there's really only one thing that he gave them. What did he give them? He gave them himself. He promises himself. They asked him, where are you staying? And he says, come and see. And then they spent the rest of the day with him. I don't know if he, like, took him to the carnival, right? Oh, don't worry. It's on me, right? He took him to lunch. I don't know. He didn't say what they did. Went to see a movie, okay? They went bowling, right? Hung out at, like, uh, Buffalo Wild Wings or something. Like, doesn't say what they actually... He just, they just spent time with him. They just got to be with him. They came seeking to be with Jesus, and Jesus fulfilled the request. They got to be with Jesus, Do you realize that when we express our hopes and dreams and longings and expectations to Jesus Christ, those things do matter, and he wants to fulfill the desires of our hearts, but do you also realize that he fulfills those hopes with himself? That is how he fulfills those hopes, with himself. Like, he doesn't just zap me with joy or zap you with peace. He doesn't just zap your marriage with forgiveness or zap your family with reconciliation, He doesn't just zap you with anything. He gives you himself. He promises you himself. That is why we call Jesus. What does the Bible say? That he will be called Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which means God is with us. See, what Jesus does is he looks us straight in the eye, just like he does in the story with the two disciples, and he asks us, What are you after? He asks you, What are you after? And we say, well, I just want this injury to go away. Well, I just want this person to not die. I want this person, this bad person in my life to just go away. Get out of my life, and I don't need all that negativity. But I think Jesus would have to ask us again. Because we're not getting at the heart of what we're asking. We're just asking for surface things. Just make this thing better. Just take care of of this thing. Just move this this thing out of the way. And Jesus, I think, would oftentimes have to ask us again. Look us in the eye again and say, no, 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 no. You're not understanding. What are you What are you after? The depths of who you are, what are you after? What are you really after? So then we have to answer, what's behind the request? What's behind the hope? I don't just want my wife to be healed of this injury that she has. I want to see joy in her eyes again. I want to see life in her smile again. I don't just want my loved one to survive. I want to know that they're going to be okay. And I want to know that no matter what happens, that I'm going to be okay. See, that's the deeper request. I don't just want a job just to make money. I want to know that my family is going to be taken care of. And I want to know that my life's work is accomplishing something meaningful, something worthwhile. You see how there's a deeper hope? There's a deeper request underneath all the surface things that we ask for. I just want more money. I just want more of this. I just want more fun. Do you realize that there's a deeper need? And Jesus says, just like he does to the disciples, okay, well then, come and see. Come with me. Come follow me. Come be with me. See, all we are really promised, my friends, all we are really promised is Emmanuel, God with us. And we are promised that our deepest desires, the true, genuine desires of our hearts, will be met in Jesus Christ. It may not happen in our timing, it may not even fully happen on this side of heaven. But our deepest longings will be fulfilled. Do you know that today? Our deepest longings, your deepest longings, the deep longings that maybe you haven't even gotten in touch with yet, those longings will be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. St. Augustine once said, You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. This is a reflection of what Romans 5.5 5 says, Hope does not put us to shame. It does not disappoint us. Why? Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Why does hope not disappoint us? Because God. Because God. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. Hope does not disappoint us because hope has a name. Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so today... We are kicking off this series called Hope Has a Name. I know there are a lot of other religions and pathways that say different things or similar things to Christianity about hope. For those of you who don't believe, you don't believe in Jesus Christ, this might all just sound like fairy tales and nonsense. Yeah, hope, Jesus, you know, Santa Claus, Peter Pan, whatever, it's all the same. It just sounds like, right, nonsense. Buddhism, right, I mean, not to be too simplistic, but Buddhism is, is a pursuit, basically, ultimately a pursuit of having no desire at all, right? You want to get to a point where there is, you just rid yourself of desire. Hedonism says, just give in to every desire that you have, right? But Jesus Christ is not a religion. He's not a pathway. He is a being. He's a person. And Jesus Christ tells us, don't ignore your desires, don't just suppress them, say, no, 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 I'm not supposed to want that. No, 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 I'm not supposed to say that. Oh, no, I'm not supposed to ask God for anything. I'm, not supposed to, I'm just supposed to shut up and be happy with what I have. He says, no, 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 don't ignore your desires, but surrender them to him. And tell him, what are you after? Do you know that you can tell Jesus that? Even if you have to ask every day, Jesus, I'm still after this. Jesus, I'm still after this. Jesus, I'm still, But if at the core of your desire, it's not to ultimately say, Jesus, I'm really after you. I'm really after you. F- fulfill my desire the best way that you know how. You know best. You know what I really need. I'm leaving it to you. I want you to fulfill my desire. Do you ever have a deep desire that you feel like in the wrong way? Addictions or maybe just simple things, Right? I want to make myself feel happy. I need, I need, I need someone to pick me up. OK, well, what are, OK, there's a bag of chips there. And then you've eaten the whole bag of chips. And you're like, well, that was not a good idea. <laughs> I just want to entertain myself. Well, OK, let's see what's on Netflix. You watch that movie on Netflix. and You're like, well, I want that two hours of my life back. Uh, you know, I need, to, I need to make myself feel better. I'm going to go shopping. I'm going to, right? And then, of course, buyer's remorse when you realize that you've just added to your credit card debt. I mean, whatever. You know what I'm saying, right? We, we fill our hopes and our desires with all these little petty things. But the deep desire is really for something that only Jesus Christ can fulfill. So here's your action step for this week. Here's what I want to call on you, church, to do this week. And for the entirety of this series, really, is would you answer this question? If you journal, if you write journals, or like me, I have a little journal on my phone on this app called Evernote, whatever, like however you do it, maybe a, a voice recorder Maybe in a conversation with somebody else that you trust, would you take time to answer this question? Spouses. Sometimes you may wonder, like, well, we don't really have anything to talk about, or we don't have time, or I don't really know, I'm tired. Can you just ask each other this question? What are you after? Friends, when you get together, when you see family members, if you're going to go out to lunch after this, or you going to say, what, what are you really after? No, I just want to, no, 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 don't give me that easy answer. What are you really after? Answer that question genuinely for yourself. And don't just settle for the easy answer. I want a better job. I want a better marriage. I want better kids. What's underneath that desire? Spend some time letting Jesus look you in the eye. Asking, what are you really after? What do you really want? Whether it's in a small group, Sunday morning prayer, Saturday morning prayer times like we have every week. Even if you need to come on a Sunday or on a Saturday weeping to this altar just to be able to say, God, I am done trying to fulfill my desires with my own means. I need you to fulfill me, God. Whatever it takes, that's what I'm saying, whatever it takes, answer this question for yourself. Don't let anything stop you. Your hopes are important and they matter to Jesus Christ, so put your hope in him. I want to let you know that this Saturday, December 3rd, as I mentioned, we're having a prayer session again at 7 o'clock. And I know it's early, but it's worth it. And I want to tell you this Saturday, (coughs) we're going to be praying specifically for healing. This is something that's been on Albert and Christine and Hart and my heart as well. That we want to just focus on praying for healing. And not only physical healing, that's important, but spiritual healing, emotional healing, relational healing. If you are in need of healing in any way. Healing from the past, healing from an old wound, healing from a broken relationship, healing from a loss, from a failure, from a disappointment. If you are in need of healing, come join us. We would love nothing more than have the honor of praying over you. You don't have to have some kind of spiritual thing where you lay hands on people and they're healed. You don't have to worry about having all the right words. We just want to pray for people who need healing. And it could be for you and it could be for someone else. If you want to come here on Saturday morning on behalf of someone else and pray for them, I encourage you to do that as well. Maybe the person can't make it or whatever. They they, they can't leave, but we want to pray for you. James 5 says, if anyone is sick and in need, you should call on the elders, leaders of the church, pray for him and anoint him with oil to come together for healing. This is where we find healing. Would you join me in praying? God, I pray that each one of us would have that encounter with you, that that we would see you looking us in the eye That we would see you standing there, genuinely asking us, what do you want? What are you after? God, I'm amazed that you even care. Sometimes our requests seem so uh, just personal or like, well, God doesn't really, I don't want to bother God. I don't want to bother other people to pray for me. I don't want to... But God, you know us better than we know ourselves. So you see that every time we ask you for something, every time we cry out and say, God, change this or do this, there's always a deeper need behind that. But maybe we don't see it. So I pray that we would know today, God, that our hope, our hope, all of our hopes, the hopes of this entire room, the hopes of everybody who's going to be listening to this sermon days or weeks later online, The hopes of everybody in this neighborhood, the hopes of everybody in this city, in this county, in this state, the hopes of everybody in this this country, the hopes of everybody on this continent, the hopes of everybody in this world. Our ultimate hopes are met and fulfilled in you. But I know that many of us don't know that yet. So Lord, open our hearts, open our eyes to see you for who you are and to see that you are our one and only true hope. God, thank you. We sing to you, we praise you, and we will walk with you to discover true hope. Thank you, God. pray in Jesus' name.